0: Our sermon text reading, our first sermon text reading, comes from the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Our second reading comes from the book of Romans. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Ebby. This is our second Sunday in this new sermon series that we're going to be in for six weeks. The sermon series is titled The Why and How of Worship. Last week was more of a, a broad overview, trying to unpack, trying to lay a foundation for what exactly happens on a Sunday morning. Now, starting this Sunday and in the following weeks, we're going to look at the various aspects of the service and not just why are they important, but how are we actually practically helped by the different elements of a worship service? Real quickly, you probably still have it out, but, but take out your order of worship right now and look on page three with me. Page three, this is the official start of the service. and so. You know, there's a, a letter on the first page from Pastor Dan and myself, Then there's some quotes, and there's prelude music, but, but none of that is officially the service. And so, the service starts on page three, and notice that the service starts always with a call to worship call to worship, which is a few verses that are sort of welcoming us, God calling us, God sort of defining what is now going to happen in this service. And then if you flip over a few more pages to the very end, you'll see on page 12 that the service closes with a benediction. A benediction, again, is just some verses that are stated by a pastor as a way of God's word blessing you, but also sending you out into the world. So God's word, the Bible, is the bookends of the service. So God gets the first word, and God gets the final word. But then, as you look through your bulletin, you'll see that there's also a number of other Scripture references. Scripture is used to convict us of our sin. Scripture is also used to assure us of our salvation. The the main point of a service is the sermon, which is an exposition of God's Word, and then we go to the Lord's Table, where we see God's Word pictured. So God's Word is not just the beginning and the end, but it's really the lifeblood of the entire service. God's Word is the central theme. So if last week was a broad overview, the coming weeks are going to be the specifics of what goes into the service. And this first specific that we are going to focus on is the importance of God's Word as we worship. I have two points for you this morning. Number one, we'll see that God's Word defines what is true worship. And then second, we will see that God's word is the life of a worship service. Let's start with number one, that God's word defines what is true worship. In the Reformed tradition, there is a principle titled the regulative principle of worship. The idea is that we want to worship God how God wants to be worshipped, that the Bible, God's Word, actually regulates what goes into a service. So, from the Heidelberg Catechism, it states, this is question and answer 96, that the second commandment requires that in no way we make any image of God nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His Word. The idea is that we want to worship God how God wants to be worshipped. There are certainly ways that skits or dramas or poetry or different things can be helpful in in other contexts. But when you look at the Bible, we see that God never prescribes a skit for worship. Therefore, we should not include a skit in a worship service. God's word regulates what goes in and also what stays out. My wife's birthday is coming up next week. She is going to turn 39, so she is one year from being over the hill. And so, for this big 39th birthday, I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to take her out to, to celebrate her for the day. And, and if I said to you, with the best intentions, and I was very sincere and genuine in my heart, and I said, I love my wife so much, I want to honor her, I want to make her feel special, I cherish her. I mean, everything in my life I'm living in such a way that I am devoted to my wife, and I can't wait for this the, the special day, uh, almost like a little mini service, just to, to really honor Vanessa on her birthday. Here, here, here's what I'm going to do for this very special time with her. Don't, don't tell Vanessa, because it's all a secret, but I, I know she's going to love me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna to go to, the, to the, the party store, and I'm gonna buy some really cheap beer, and I'm gonna take my wife fishing, And when we're we're out on the boat, I'm gonna buy all sorts of junk food. I'm gonna buy Mountain Dew and Doritos and jelly beans. We're gonna go out onto the boats. We're going to listen to to techno music. I'm going to do all sorts of things that is gonna make Vanessa feel very special. And here's here's the best part of the day. On on the way home, I know Vanessa's going to love this. We're going to stop at the tattoo parlor. We're going to get matching tattoos, little little hearts on our backs, each other's names written right into it. She is going to feel so special. She is going to love what I have planned for you, her. And if you know my wife, then you will know that none of that is what she would want She would much rather be in a nice quiet restaurant eating a big salad. So yes, I might have the best intentions in the entire world but my intentions are totally misguided. If I really knew my wife, I would know how she wants to be honored. I would know what she likes, I would know what she wants, I would know what she doesn't like. That's the regulative principle of worship. Since this meeting, is us meeting with God, as you saw in the front of your order of worship, it says, this is the Lord's service, we should start with the very simple and also very obvious question, how does God want us to meet with Him? There's an old Simpson episode where Homer buys Marge a bowling ball for her birthday. And Marge is very upset because Marge has never bowled in her entire life. And turns out that Homer actually had his name engraved into the ball as he gave it to her. Because he, of course, knew that she wouldn't want the ball, and so she would give it right back to him. It was actually more about him. And so it is with God. I mean, and I, I, I honestly believe this that churches have wonderful intentions, great intentions for how to, to draw a crowd how to keep people engaged, genuinely want to practically help people. And so I am not assuming any bad intentions here, but the first question, when we come to the Lord's service should be, what does God want? what does God's word have to say about what should be in a service and what should be out of a service? And I think you'll find that every service here at Redeemer has elements that are found in God's Word. The reading of God's Word, preaching, tithing, praying, singing, sacraments. Occasionally, we will give a vow. This is the Lord's service. Therefore, we should worship Him how He wants to be worshipped. And I'll just be honest. This is me perhaps speaking selfishly as a pastor I love the regulative principle because it makes my job so easy. I, I, I feel very bad for pastors that are running themselves into the ground, trying to come up with the latest and greatest service that nobody has ever thought of before. Just how can it be flashier? How can there be more drama? How can there be more excitement? And they're just always spinning their wheels trying to come up with a better and better service. Running themselves into the ground. Oh, of course, it takes a lot of work to put a service on. I know the Kyle and Rachel and the music team, they, they worked very hard at, at the music, and, and writing a sermon takes a few days. And so, so there's certainly time that goes into it. But there is never a point in my week when Dan and I get together and we think, well, how should we invent a brand new service? We essentially do the same thing over and over again because that's what God has told us to do that the basic outline of this service is what most churches in most countries throughout most of time have all, always done. We don't want to outthink it. One of my guiding principles in life is that I just never want to outthink God. If God says something, I just sort of assume that God knows best, and if God says, well, this is what Sunday morning should look like, I think, well, that's good enough for me. Let's just keep on doing it. His Word defines the structure of the service. That's the first point. But second, and really the bigger and, and more life-giving point for this morning, is that God's Word is the life of the service. You see, it can be very easy to fall into the trap of just planning a worship service in such a way We make sure we do the right things and that we're not doing the wrong things. It's possible to have a service that is absolutely theologically accurate, and yet there's no life to it. It's just a lecture or a checklist or just the passing on of information. I mentioned Pastor Dan's church last week as a young boy. Great church, wonderful church, saying all the right things, and yet there's no life to the worship Sadly, there are many churches, usually these are conservative churches that believe the Bible, and they almost pride themselves, as, you know, but we are so doctrinally pure that we have to be boring, as if boring equals godliness. See, true worship is far more than simply passing on correct information. Worship, which centers on God's Word, is the means by which God creates life in you. If the regulative principle determines the content, the second principle is that God's word is the means to life. Remember, worship is dialogical, it's a conversation, it's a dialogue between God and between us. And as God is speaking to us every single Sunday morning, he is making new life in you. Last week, we started this sermon series by looking at Nehemiah 8. Abby Abby referenced it again this morning. It's going to be an important text for us in these coming weeks. It's one of the great worship sections in the Bible. We see that as Israel is coming back, as God is beginning a new work in their life, as He is renewing their covenant with Him, it all begins when the people discover God's Word. When Ezra gets up on the stage and he begins to exposit the scriptures for hours on end. And in the, the following chapters, God's people are going to respond to God's word with confession and singing and offering up their tithes and offerings. So in this conversation that we have every Sunday morning, it is a dialogue between God and between us. But the most dominant and most important voice in this conversation is the voice of God. We want to hear from God on Sunday morning, more than we want to hear from us, more than anything else in your life, and that is not an overstatement, more than anything else, you need to hear from God. You do not need to hear from a slick pastor, you do not need to hear from a best-selling worship Leader, you do not need to hear more from cultural commentators or social influencers or political pundits. What you need to hear is the voice of God. And praise God. God actually raises his voice and he speaks to us. And just pause for just a second. Because we can just skip over that fact very quickly, but just sit for a moment and just be taken back by by that reality that God speaks to you. And God speaks in words and in ways and in concepts and with ideas that we can actually understand. God speaks to you, the the triune God of the world, the holy God, He speaks out to you, and His very first words to you are at the beginning of the service. And God says to you, come, come to me, come and participate. I know, of course I know, all the ways that you have fallen this past week. I know that you do not deserve to be here this morning, but still, you are mine, and therefore, I am calling you to myself. I am saying to you, my child, my son, my daughter, come to this service, come to this renewal event, and once you come to this renewal event, I am going to keep on speaking. When God speaks, is not just information. God's word is his power. Think of what happens in the Bible whenever God speaks. Think of Genesis chapter one. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So there was a time when there was absolutely nothing, just everything's dark, there's no substance, there's absolutely nothing in the world until God begins to speak. He says, let there be light, and by the power of his word, there is light. He says, let there be an expanse, and there was an expanse. He goes on to say, let there be fish, and animals, and vegetation, and let there be mankind, let there be men and women. God speaks. This world is not a cosmic accident, but it is the result of God speaking, Ezekiel 37, you have a valley of dry, dusty, dead bones. There is no life. There's no flesh. There's no ligaments. Just dry, dead bones. And then God begins to speak. And as God speaks, he brings to life these dead bones. God's speech is his power for life. God's speak is his power. Think of John chapter 1. You should all know this because we have been in the gospel according to John for well over a year. Remember, why was John written, the gospel according to John? See, at the very end, John says, I have written these things so that you might believe. How then are we to believe? John 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The fullest expression of God's word is his son, Jesus. And as Jesus, the word, is given to the world, we see all over the gospel according to John, people brought back to life. And not just Lazarus brought back in a physical sense, but we see people being spiritually born again. God is speaking, he is speaking in his son, he is speaking in the gospel. And when God speaks the son, the result is new spiritual life. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So right now, the entire universe is being sustained because God is speaking it into existence. So we see that whenever God speaks, new life is created, and life is sustained. Therefore, never take it lightly when we come to church on Sunday morning, and we hear God speak in the context of worship. If you feel like you need stronger faith, if you feel like you don't even have any faith at all, and so you just need a new work of faith, if you feel like... You're just barely getting by and you need to be sustained in life. All the more reason to come to church and hear God speak. The Word of God is the work of God. Now, I'll certainly grant you that there might be very boring pastors, there might be very bland music, there might be services that often feel very mundane. But make no mistake, there might be boring pastors, but there's nothing boring about God's Word, because God's Word is His power to create and sustain life in you. This past week, I spoke at a youth retreat. It's not really my cup of tea, and so there's 100 high schoolers and, and younger. I'm, I'm used to people like you. I'm used to, to college students. Not don't really feel like high schoolers and younger are really my, my my cup of tea, and so I get up in front of this crowd, a hundred kids looking at me. I have no insights from 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 TikTok, or I don't even know what they're watching on TV today. All I have with me are two sermons that I have prepared from the Gospel according to John. So all I have for these kids, I don't have any cultural insights, know nothing about TikTok. All I have is God's word, and you know what? That that's enough. Because God's Word is how He works. And all of that leads us to Romans chapter 10 that Ebby just read for us. I mentioned a quote last week from Jackson Lears, who is a secular historian. And Jackson Lears' observation was that as culture has moved from Calvinism to platitudinous humanism, that we have become a weightless society, that we just have no spiritual ballast. And so I spent most of the sermon last week unpacking the first half of that quote, but the quote from Jackson Lears ended with, the decline of religion is breeding weightless people who long for intense experience to give some definition, some distinct outline and substance to their vaporous lives. That's a really interesting Observation: He's saying that we have lost a sense of God, therefore we have no definition to our lives, that we are meaningless people. Because we've lost God, there's actually a vacuum in our heart. There's a longing that we're trying to be filled with something. We're not being filled with God on Sunday morning, therefore we're looking in other places to be filled. And his observation is that we are looking to be filled through intense experience, It's a really keen observation. The end-all value in Western culture, especially amongst younger generations, is that we would live for intense observations or intense experience. I can uh, affirm this as someone that did campus ministry for a number of years, that younger generations, millennials, Generation Z, which I am a part of, so I'm not just blaming others, I'm looking at myself, we, we, we live for experience, you know, we want to experience the world through travel, we want to experience the world through food, or we want to experience adventure in, in, in the right way, that, that can be okay, but what is happening is that we have now made that our idol, The younger generations are living, or actually worshiping, or finding their identity and their definition in life through experience. And so what has happened is that the church is seeing that, and they have taken that idol and now brought it into the church. And so worship on Sunday morning is now driven by the experience, the experience of worship. And what you see in Romans chapter 10 is that we are prone to creating ladders to try and reach up to God, that that we are establishing man-made ladders that are trying to force God down to us. This is the definition of legalism, that you can bring God to you through a man-made, not God-given grace. And this is what is happening during this experience-driven worship. Worship with all this effort to make it bigger, better, more exciting, more dramatic. It's always about doing. It's always about experiencing. Because our hope is that the more that we experience and the more that we work on a Sunday service, that somehow we are going to force God down into us. But that is not the gospel, and that is not how God works. Because look at verse 8. The word of God is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You've already professed your faith in Christ. Therefore, it's in your your mouth. You you, you already believe Jesus in your heart. It's there, so you don't need to climb up to God through a worship experience. Why? Because God has already climbed down the ladder to you in Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. Later in the chapter in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ in Paul's mind is always in reference to the gospel. And Jesus, the word has already come to you. And he has come to you because God has spoken him to you. And how do you receive the benefits of this word? You don't receive Jesus by by seeing him. Or you don't Receive Jesus by experiencing him, but you receive him by hearing about him, by hearing the word. Now, before we go any farther, I want to qualify it a little bit. I certainly hope that you experience God. We want this to be a life-giving, experiential experience. Service. Heck, our our, our most famous line is Presbyterians, is that the purpose of your life is to glorify God and enjoy Him. That sounds experiential. When we are examining pastors to come into our denomination, we actually ask them about their experience in religion. So experience is good. You just need to get the order right. You will experience God not by crafting a dramatic service that gets you up to Him, but rather by simply resting in the fact that God has come down to you in the context of worship that He has designed by His Word. His Word is our life. His Word calls you at the very beginning of the service. At the call to worship, this is the King summoning you by His Word to come to His house. His word pierces your heart, it convicts you of your sin, so you confess it back to God, but as soon as you are convicted by his word, God's word graciously reminds you that Jesus, the word made flesh, is enough, and that you are still right with him. There's this biblical exposition. Again, a sermon is not just passing on information. A sermon, a true sermon, is a proclamation, it's a heralding of good news. It is a trumpeting of God's clearest revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin. After the sermon, we will see God's word pictured in baptism and at the Lord's Supper. You know, the, the, the sacraments are just, they're, they're, they're not magical. It's just just normal water. It's just normal bread. It's just normal wine. There's something magical that happens. But God says, I know it's hard to listen to my word, so I'm going to give you two signs that's gonna show you how my word works. And as you see how God's word works, you're encouraged in your faith. And finally, the benediction, which is God's final word, a blessing that sends you out into the world to do good. You see, the, the gospel, God's word, has a very different way of working. Every other religious service in the world is about you doing something about you having the clearest word in the service, a word about your work, a word about your sacrifice, a word about your prayers. I mentioned last week that when I was in college, I spent a summer in China. And when I was in China, we visited a Buddhist temple. This temple, there's lots of rules that you needed to follow just to, just to even observe what was happening. But when we were in the temple, we got to watch some of the service. And one of the elements of the service that was the most surprising to me is that you would see people burning money. I mean, just lighting dollar bills on fire. I I don't understand fully what was happening there, but the idea was something like you know, the afterlife is very far away, the gods probably aren't very happy, therefore, sacrifice burn your money, and that's a way of buying off the gods so that your grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles would have a blessed afterlife. See, it was about your actions. It was about about your words. It was about you communicating something to the gods. It was about your sacrifice, and that's not the gospel. The gospel, and in this service of worship, the loudest voice Here is not us shouting to God, look what we have done. It's about God's word saying to us, look what I've done. That the word of Christ is near because Jesus has come near. That Jesus, as the word, left heaven and crossed the great distance to come to us. That Jesus, as the word, took on the form of man. That Jesus, as the word, lived in our place. That Jesus, as the word, paid the sacrifice, that so Jesus, as the Word, rose to eternal life, that Jesus has now sent the Spirit to apply the Word of the Gospel to our hearts on a daily basis. His Word is near, not far. And yes, of course, we can know God's Word in our, our small groups or in our, our campus ministry. We can know the Word in our personal devotional lives as we studied our own Bibles each morning. But the place where God speaks the most clearly, speaks in a a special and unique way because God's word is actually defining what the service looks like. The place where God speaks the most clearly is on Sunday morning in a service like this because you have God... You have his people in a divine dialogue, in a covenant conversation. It's a service uniquely regulated by God's word, but it's also much more than that. It is the place where God speaks the loudest and most clearly. Remember this whenever God speaks, good things happen. New life is created, new life is sustained. God does not have to speak to us, but thankful he does. And praise God, because His Word is exactly what we need. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. First, that you are a God who speaks. This is not what we deserve. We deserve to be cut off from you. We deserve to be estranged from you. We deserve to be aliens, and yet you speak to us. You speak to us as a Father. You speak to us as a gracious God that calls us to worship. You speak to us and remind us of our salvation, of our eternal life. You speak to us. You create life in us. You sustain our very hard and difficult lives. So, Father, we are thankful that you speak. There might be any here this morning that have closed ears, stubborn hearts that are refusing to hear your word. Oh, Lord, soften, soften hearts. Soften all of us. Give us bigger ears so that we might hear more clearly all that you have done for us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.